Rick Stevens, financial advisor with FRS Financial Group, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's show, please call 719-500-8700. This is Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial. Here's your host, Rick Stevens. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group. This is your host, Rick Stevens. And folks, remember that this is your show. If you've got topics that you would like to hear on a future Money Matters episode, if there are questions you would like to have answered, feel free to give us a call at 719-500-8700. You can also drop me an email, rstevens at frsfinancialgroup.com or simply go to our website frsfinancialgroup.com click that contact tab up in the top right corner of the screen send us that question send us the topic you'd like to hear more about we would love to hear from you well folks this week we are into the new year here on money matters i am joined as always by my guest host co-host, whatever host we've got to go with these days, Andrew Rogers. Andrew, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's almost like you were questioning my uh, eligibility there for a minute. Uh, I, I was I was trying to determine if you're eligible for, uh, for for coming out on the show or if you've got to stay, you know, like behind the scenes and, and just kind of, you know, defend a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, TJ's running up about 10 yards behind me, so I understand the confusion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, last week was a little rough one in yeah. there, and and I gotta say, in looking at what the NFL put out, uh, I don't remember if it was this morning or yesterday, with the quote unquote reminder to players to make sure they checked in, the doubling that, down of that kind of showing tells me, that we messed up. Yeah, but, that kind of tells me that the, those officials got it wrong and they know it. Yeah, but that's all right. They get another primetime game this weekend. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, playing under the bright lights. Now, there's they're they're at. I don't necessarily want to say a disadvantage, but they don't get Kirk Cousins in prime time, so it might be an actual game. Yeah, well, it, it'll be maybe. All right. But but as we were talking here before the show, it actually really sets up some fun narratives uh, yeah. on the potential for the postseason yeah. coming up. Yeah, there's there's a lot of talking points already being bounded about. <laughs> so, uh, very very excited for that. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, at least you've got a team going to the postseason, and uh, I've got a team that uh, last week clinched the number one overall pick. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what the Bears decide to do with that in the in the upcoming year. Technically, I got two teams in the postseason. Well, that's that was true. a little bit of a fun morning with uh, me and Shannon. With those split <laughs> loyalties. Got uh, got got uh, you know Big Blue uh, yeah. out there, and uh, I I gotta say, I was uh, I was pleased. To see that uh, they they uh, not only came back to tie the game, but took the overtime lead. And then, I don't know what play Alabama decided to run there on fourth and goal. Reminded me a lot of the uh, Seattle-New England yeah. Super Bowl, where you just so, should have 
turned around and gave it to the running back to yeah. run it straight up the middle. But we went with a different play anyway, and that didn't quite work out so well <sighs> either time. But hey, Big Blue in the national championship yep. game. So yeah, it's a, things are looking good for a <clears> minute. Yes, yes, indeed. Folks, this week on Money Matters, no, we're not talking about the NFL the entire show today. We are going to take a look at that outlook for 2024, okay. uh, that, that outlook in markets. We've already seen just two days into the year, because we're recording this on Wednesday, two days into the year, we're already seeing a pullback go on here at the beginning, Andrew. Oh. But it's only two days. A little New Year correction. A little, little New Year uh, adjustment in there. Um, there, there. There are a wide swath, maybe I should say, as we as we look at some of those outlooks that the different um, investment companies and, and banking uh, places and, and even some of the uh, financial news organizations have put out there. Yeah, I was perusing the uh, the... The copious amount of notes you sent to me last night. It's only 12 pages. Yeah. But I mean, it's basically everything under the sun. This could just be throwing spaghetti at the wall because you've got really the entire rainbow, a cornucopia, if you will, as far as that. That's a good word. Projections for the market. Yes. Yes. There, There are a boatload of different options that folks have looked at. And it always blows my mind. Because all these people look at the exact same numbers. And usually, in most years, and I will use that term, most years, the outlooks are going to be very similar. But yes, this year we have just a huge array of of things that folks have kind of come out to say. But I want to start a little bit, not so much on the market side, but on the economy as a whole. Okay, because a reminder, the markets, when they might be like that canary, they are not an actual indicator of the entire economy. Exactly, exactly. And I want to start with, uh, I'm going to use the term loosely, our friends over at CNBC. Uh, friends um, of the show. Partners, if you will. Uh, well, it's where you know, I get some of the, uh, the fun places I can make jabs at. Um, not the least of which is Jim Cramer, who uh, on Tuesday this week said Bitcoin is here to stay. And as of the recording right now, it's down 5% today. Huh. So the Cramer, the Cramer uh, curse, the the, uh, the inverse Cramer is still in full force I, at the beginning of 24. I did see an interview with him the other day. Uh-huh. First time in a while. It seems as if he's really big on uh, investing in the Ozempics or the Wegovies or something like that because he is a he is a fraction of the gym that we know. Yes, yes, he uh, he he has. Uh, it looks like he's been hitting the gym, yeah, if you will. Um, so CNBC here is directly from their 2024 outlook it says an economic decline may still be in the forecast. Experts say. The prediction is based on the same factors that prompted economists to call for a downturn to 2023. Uh, if you guys were listening to the uh, end of year show, you got to hear me say that macroeconomists have successfully predicted nine out of the last five recessions. So we'll take this with a grain of salt. But it's still the same factors, right? As inflation has run hot, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates. Now, we've already heard the Fed say they're not planning to raise. Mm-hmm coming in but that's a total sidebar so here's here's my favorite part typically that dynamic has triggered a recession 
from CNBC now directly, defined as two consecutive quarters of negative gross domestic product growth. Wait, I thought we had a new definition of recession. <laughs> I thought we did too, but apparently we're not in the middle of a midterm election this year. It's just a presidential election year, so we can go back to the old definition. But what about the jobs numbers? What about the jobs? <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, uh, apparently, according to CNBC, I don't have to go back now and apologize to all those students over the years whom I taught that definition of the recession to. All right. It's actually real. Well, we're on to a good start. <clears throat> yes. Yes. We also get from Forbes. Okay. Right? Another financial industry uh, sort of media piece. Forbes says this, despite the generally favorable leading indicators, the sharp increase in interest rates and reduction of money supply that we have had over the last two years should still trigger an economic slowdown. Now, they didn't say recession. They said slowdown. Yeah. They haven't caught up to the new definition yet. Right. Growth will be positive, but lower than the long-run average. Unemployment will probably rise by a little, but not go terribly high. Inflation will continue declining to about the 2% target set by the Federal Reserve. So the 2024 slowdown will probably not be recession, though that's a possibility. Well, it sounds like it's an awful lot like that bounded about soft landing that everyone was talking about. That's that's what I think Forbes is looking at in mm-hmm. terms of the overall economy. And it also, Andrew, kind of underscores one of those things that we talked about on that year-end show of the market did well, but economically it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Right? We, we've seen it slow down, right? Seen it slow down. But we're going to get into the actual asset manager outlooks for the S&P 500. Okay, so so far we have gone from full recession to the soft, soft landing. landing to now we're going to look at the markets. And uh, and I like to do this from the S&P 500 perspective because okay. again, 500 companies representing basically every yeah. sector uh in the US economy. So you get kind of a look at that even though it's not the economy as a whole. Yeah. Well, it's um, kind of that same mindset. The market isn't the economy at the whole. The S&P isn't the market at the whole, but it's a kind of good indicator that if it's up or down, the wider market probably is. Exactly. And, and I like to look at the S&P because the Dow, those are 30 stocks. Yeah. And they're industrial stocks. The NASDAQ, that is mostly technology. So two vastly different parts of the economy. The S&P kind of looks at both of those and then adds some more yeah. into it as a whole. So here we go. J.P. Morgan, big company, yeah. right? Large asset management company. They are J.P. Morgan Chase, technically, so they own Chase Bank as well. Their outlook for 2024 says, while stocks have remained positive year-to-date, and this was at the end of 23 when they put this out, the outlook for earnings growth has not been as strong as investors hoped. Equity concentration in the S&P 500 is now at levels not seen since the 1970s. Uh-oh. Kind of reminds me of some of the stuff Bill Smead talked about with us uh, a couple of different times over the last year plus about this looks a lot more like the 70s than the 90s. So S&P 500 at le- at concentration at levels not seen since the 70s, meaning the rise in stocks has been driven by a cluster of tech mega cap stocks, the Magnificent Seven, If you will, we talked about those on the year end. This dynamic, which has been seen ahead of previous economic slowdowns, there's the slowdown part again, 
along with an end to the period of record pricing power as 40-year high inflation begins to soften, suggests that corporate margins are set to face major headwinds in 2024. That's a lot of words to say it's going to start slowing down. Yeah. So in, in real English, what that means is J.P. Morgan thinks we will see a further slowdown in the market, maybe not recession, right? Perhaps that soft landing. Uh, but they actually set a target of 4,200 for what they think the S and P 500 will be at the end of the year, which basically means they are projecting about a 12 percent down in the market for 2024. Well, and and refresh my memory because we were you know almost close to that as far as up when we were talking about the year end show a couple weeks ago. Right in uh, in in November and December. Mm-hmm. End of 23, the market in just those two months was up over 13%. So it would almost seem, if you follow the patterns, right? that you know we had those kind of growth years and we could be mm-hmm. coming into an exhale and kind of about that same. And it's almost like this is a cycle. Yes. Yes. There are some cyclical things I mean, that, uh, that kind of happen through here. I don't want to put on a tinfoil hat, but... It's like, we've talked about this over a number of shows. (laughs) You have some ups, you have some downs. Yes. You take the good, you take the bad. You take them both, and there you have... The facts of life. Yes, and those are the facts of the actual market. Um, We've got ups, we've got downs. So, the J.P. Morgan outlook, minus 12 for the year. Ballparkish. Bank of America, another large national... Mm-hmm. Wealth management firm, they actually have uh, wealth managers inside. They're not just a, a lending institution. But they have forecast the S&P 500 by the end of 2024 to be at 5,000. Okay. What that actually says is by the end of this year, Bank of America thinks the S&P 500 will be at the all-time high. We will actually hit those all-time highs. We will surpass where we were at the beginning of 2022 by a little bit at the end of this year. So they're taking the cup that JP had, not even looking at it as half full or half empty. They're looking at it as full, full. Full, full. It's about a 5%. Yes, about 5% by yeah. the end of the year to the plus side um, on there. They're, they're not just going, eh, it could be or it couldn't be. They went, you know, you didn't fill up that cup enough. Yeah. We, we're going to add more. They want their to cup that. to overflow. Yes. But but Bank of America actually doesn't have the biggest projection, Andrew, when it comes to 2024. Okay. Investors Business Daily, again, another financial media piece, Okay, has said this. They say Wall Street is mostly convinced. And is that like mostly dead, which still means partially alive? Uh, they're mostly convinced that the Fed will reach the goal of a soft landing. There's that piece again on the U.S. economy. That means slower economic growth, but no recession, leading into interest rate cuts in 2024. Okay, I like where they're coming with that, and that mostly could also be media speak for not making an absolute, because apparently the media is becoming more and more like our buddy Evan and not liking to deal in absolutes anymore yes. so that uh, so you are to depend. held up on that. Yeah. Yes. So they continue on. In that environment, most analysts predict improved corporate earnings growth for S&P 500 companies. Okay. Now, the flip side of that was J.P. Morgan, which said 
there won't be improved earnings growth. So you got you got again two sides, yeah. varying ideas here. They go on to say, as for how the stocks will perform in the coming election year, so this is the first time we hear about, hey, 2024 is a presidential election year. Yeah. Forecasts vary widely, but the consensus seems to fall in the range of 8 to 9% gains. So that's double what uh, BOA is expecting. Yes, and but still under historical norms in, in any given year, right? Because historically mm-hmm. speaking... The S&P 500 returns about 11%. Okay. So, again, they're going below, quote-unquote, historical average, but they still have that little bit of a rosy picture, that 8 to 9%. Well, and that would still put the S&P, again, if if my math is correct, uh-huh. into that all-time territory. Yeah, your your math does math properly. That would put it at about 5,200 okay. for, the, for the end of the year. Now, Barron's. Barron's is another financial uh, media piece. And they start this way, as investors chill the bubbly for their year-end celebrations. Ooh, I like where they're going with this already. That that was good, wasn't yeah. it? They should lay in more for 2024. Now, kind of like the uh, the the little uh, rhyming yeah. to that, but it says, while the S&P isn't cheap at 19 times expected earnings, and the timing and pace of rate cuts are uncertain... Because, again, the Fed didn't perfectly telegraph any moves. Stocks look poised for another strong year. However, it's likely to be a volatile year. Yes. With markets buffeted by shifting expectations for the economy and interest rates. I like this. The geopolitical surprises. Who knew? And the political surprises. Who knew? Who knew? But important debates about the trajectory of inflation and rates should be settled by year-end, leading investors to look forward to more good news in 2025. But this year's 2024, Andrew. Huh. So Perf. here's yeah, here's what they look at. Okay. It says, Barron's recently canvassed six market strategists and chief investment officers about their market and economic forecast. The average year-end S&P target, 4838, up only 3%. From Thursday's close, and that was right before the new year of 47.19. Then again, the benchmark index has rallied 12% since the start of November. And it finished as a plus mm-hmm. 13.4. And like this year's late rally, there's good reason to think that 2024 will end with a bang, lifting stocks above the Wall Street Pro's targets. However, if you take what Barron's actually predicts themselves... They expect the S&P to actually grow less than 1% in 2024. So so they're looking at plus in the early part, plus in the back end, and minus in the middle. Okay. To come up with, well, if you just went point to point, kind of flat. Well, I mean, so we've had the sky is going to fall. We're going to be okay, soft land. We've had some great boon years, and then... Whoever wrote this wearing a top hat and monocle, I can only assume. <laughs> I'm sure. about flat. Yes. Yeah. So, so far, out of like five projections, we've got five different possibilities. Okay. Um, a couple more before we uh, come up on that break in the show. Merrill Lynch, right? Kind of a big investment firm here. The bull. The bull has said the markets and economy have experienced a lot of disruption in the past few years. Okay. I feel like that's an understatement. 
Well, isn't you know disruption now mm. that new hot buzzword that everyone wants to do? Doesn't I think everyone so. want to disrupt? I, I, this is what I keep hearing. This is what I keep hearing. And they go through, right? The pandemic. A deep, if brief, recession. So Merrill Lynch said that we've already had a recession. I'm going to guess 2022 yeah. consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Surging inflation. Rapid fire interest rate hikes. Geopolitical conflict. Bear markets in both stocks and bonds. All of which left even the staunchest of long-term investors wondering what could possibly be next. So what will possibly be next, according to Merrill Lynch? Well, Chris Heisey, the chief investment officer for Merrill, says this, The good news is that most of these disruptions are now fading and should be completely behind us. We expect 2024 to be a foundational year in which investors are likely to enjoy the classic underpinnings of traditional asset allocation where fixed income provides income and diversification, the yield curve becomes more normal, likely in the second half of the year, and the equity markets, which were led by a very narrow group of companies in 2023, should broaden out with other sectors, perhaps including small-cap stocks and even emerging markets, beginning to participate more in the gains. So what he's basically saying is 2024 should look like we're back to normal which is about a plus 11 okay. for the year. Wow. So Merrill Lynch, thinking that we've got a, a plus 11. Then I'm going to move down a little bit here to BCA Research. Okay. So BCA Research is a research firm that puts out all kinds of analytics uh, for, for advisors, for asset managers. And they've got an interesting take on 2024, Andrew. Oh, as do most research firms. Ah, uh, yes. So here, the S&P 500 could experience its worst crash since 2008 next year as the recession kicks off, according to the 2024 outlook of BCA Research. Wow. Yes, a recession in the U.S. and the Euro area was delayed this year, but not avoided. Developed markets remain on a recessionary path unless monetary policy eases very significantly. And what that means is in, unless the Fed and other central banks reduce interest rates. And as such, the risk-reward balance is quite unfavorable for stocks. Okay. BCA Research said a recession next year should put the S&P 500 in the range of somewhere between 3300 and 3700 before a rebound materializes. Okay. So, if the S&P dumps to 3300, what that means is from where we started the day, January 2 down to 3300 is about a 30% decline. So they're calling for cats and dogs to marry for pure pandemonium. Yes, yes. It's it's one of those things where they're looking at this going, the sky isn't just falling, the entire heavens are coming down yeah. and raining on 2024. That's a little crazy. Yeah, that's a little a- bit a little bit nuts in uh in my world. But they did say it'll eventually mm-hmm. rebound. Eventually, yeah, I, I always love that. Yeah, but, eventually, but it'll be rebound. all right at some point. And the last one I'm going to hit before we go into the break today. 
Okay. Is from another research firm on the financial analyst side called Yardini Research. Okay. Market veteran, Ed Yardini, because you've got to put some kind of qualifier on there, expects the S&P 500 to surge 17% in 2024 as the economy remains resilient, inflation moderates, and a productivity boom picks up steam. Okay. His bullish outlook is predicated on the S&P 500 trading at a forward price-to-earnings ratio of about 20 times which is slightly above the current index valuation of 19 times, according to the data from FactSet. Um, again, another uh, little analytics place out there. So we have now seen that entire gamut from negative 30 to plus 17. So, I mean, that's about that's a pretty large swing. That's, that's a 50% number in there, from the minus 30 on one side Ooh. to the plus 17. I, I can't imagine if I ever gave folks the range, well, what do you think could happen this year? Well, anything from minus 25 to plus 25. That that doesn't sound really reassuring yeah. to me. That sounds, like, that sounds almost like a coin flip. Well, it's either going to be good or it's not. Uh, you know, oftentimes, that's the way I think of the weather. Right, because uh-huh. my 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 whole question is, shouldn't the weather always be a fifty percent chance of something? Right, it's a fifty percent chance of snow, which means it may or may not. Yeah. Right, or a fifty percent chance of rain, it may or may not rain, because that's the only option. It's going to rain or it won't. Yeah. So you know, there's a fifty percent chance that the market goes up, which means it may or may not. Right, because it's either going up or going down. It's rare that there's a zero percent, a zero point zero percent in a year. Yeah, there's not, there's never neutrality. Right. The closest thing to neutral we got was a few years back. We got a minus point one one. Okay. Which is basically flat in a year, but that's about as close as you're going to get from January one to December thirty one, as there will ever be. Usually there is a plus, there is a minus, and it's at least a percentage. Yeah. In there. So, what does all of that mean? Well, what that means is the RBG for 2024, and that's the Rick's best guess. We've got some some things to look at and to consider. And, Andrew, we're going to do that when we come back from this break. So, folks, stick around. Money Matters will be right back. Does stock market volatility have you wondering which way is up? Do the talking heads and doomsayers have you wondering if this really is the end? If you want straight answers from an advisor who isn't just trying to sell you something, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment today. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Folks, thanks for sticking with us through that break. Rick Stevens here on Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. In studio with my co-host, guest host, depends on what he reported as uh, today, Andrew Rogers. We, We finished up, Andrew, that first segment talking about the... That, that wide swath of possibilities. Yeah, that in 50% the point swing yes. that could be devastating or fantastic. 
Yeah, and, and there are folks that do fall very close to that zero number, uh, maybe on the small plus or small minus, like Morgan Stanley has projected about a negative 5 at 5.7% for the year. Uh, Stiefel says about a negative 2.5. Ned Davis Research says positive 2.7. RBC, positive 4.8. Federated Hermes, which is actually an asset manager, plus 4.8. Goldman Sachs says a plus 6.9 on there. Deutsche Bank, same spot, 6.9. BMO, which is another bank, plus 6.9. So so you get a lot of these folks that, that, yes, even end up in the middle of all of that, from that negative 30 from, from BCA all the way to the plus 17 from your Denny. So what in the world is coming in 2024? There are three things to 2024, three big things, I guess I should say, that I like to look at. And I like to look at things historically speaking, as in what has gone on in markets when event A, event B, event C have happened. Okay. Now, I will say this. I did not check to see what happens in markets when there's been an earthquake in New York. Okay. So I didn't look for that. Did not try to, you know, work that into the factors of anything here. Then there's also that part of me that goes, I didn't realize there was actually a tectonic plate in and around New York. I just, I just kind of wonder whether or not that was, uh, you know, maybe something more subway related, yeah. like you know, big train, heavy train going through. Anyway, what's coming for 2024? Andrew, did you know 2024 is a presidential election year? Yeah. Mm- Sometimes. You may have heard a little inkling about that a time or two. There's been a couple news stories involving uh, some election issues. Yes. Especially here in the great state of Colorado. Yes. Yes. Colorado, Maine, I believe, is uh, on that uh, that list. That is Maine with an E at the end. Yes. Yeah. So in presidential election years, the SP 500. In the 12 months leading up to the presidential election. So basically, November to November. Okay. In the 12 months leading up, since 1984, has been up 4% on average okay. in that time frame. And since 1960, it's averaged closer to a 7% increase in those 12 months going into the, to the uh, election. But I want to do a couple things. I want to throw out the outliers. Okay. Because 1980 was a massive up. 2008 was a massive down. Yeah. If I throw out those two outliers, since 1960, you basically see an average increase of 10.3% in non-election years. Or in election years. In non-election years, you're at about 11. So a little bit bigger in a non-election than an actual election year. Now... We're keeping in mind that it starts November to November, right? November 1 to November 1 ballpark mm-hmm. And in November and December, the market was up 13.4%. Yeah. And we could be coming maybe to one of those outliers because we've had a lot of discussions. Even go back to our conversations with Bill Smead about this lining up closer to that end of the 70s and what came out to the end of the 70s when they were all done. We got the 80s. Yeah. And again, 
Who's following the Paul Volcker playbook from the end of the 70s? It it might be our current Fed chair. Huh. Interesting. Interesting uh, Something process. to keep in mind. Yes. So, if the 10.8 holds true, and, this were, and if this were the only thing we were looking at, right? If the 10.8 holds true in that 12-month process, and in the first two months we were up over 13, that would say to me in the next 10 we're down three. Yeah. But that would still be a plus 10 for that time frame, right? Because we've got the bookends on there. So we could see anything from that small pullback to even something a bit larger if it went all the way back to that 4% growth that we've seen since 1984. Okay. But both of those would, would seem to suggest negative movement in the market because that's what happens in a presidential election. Yeah. However, all of this is that mixed bag, if you will, Mm -hmm. because rather than looking at it from the 12-month perspective, if we break that down a little bit, we go through primary season, right? So basically February through March, April. Yeah. Through the primaries, we actually don't usually see a lot of volatility. Right? There's not a lot of up and down movement in the markets at that point in time. Not to say they take the time off, but it's not anything out of the ordinary. Yeah. Um, and, and if you want to check to see what's going on volatility-wise, uh, the VIX right, is okay. an index put together by CBOE, which is the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, and it's an index that tracks volatility. Quote unquote normal volatility is about 13. Coming into this week, the VIX was at about 12 and a half. Okay. So slightly under normal volatility, which is typical in a presidential election year. Yeah. Now, here's that crazy part the bulk of the run up in markets during the 12 months before the election generally happens in the fourth quarter of the previous year. So if we go October through December, we saw markets up 11.2. Yeah. Because October was a down month. But November, December were very good. So in that last quarter, plus 11.2, almost 14 of that coming in November, December, that would suggest... We've had that run-up that we're probably going to see before the elections. Once primary season gets into full swing, there are some downward trends at different times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generally, through the Super Tuesday primaries at the beginning of March, but it's not a huge downward. It's about a negative .44. Yeah. Right? Not huge. Once we start to get a little clearer picture of who might actually be coming out as the forerunners and then more campaign focus and then concern about what that would mean to policy and to the different industries. I I get that. That makes that, that, that tracks. Yes. Now there's also some other things to consider in an election year, maybe not before the election, but in the election year. So in 2024 as a whole, and what that typically says is that once the election is over, so the bulk of November, Plus December, the S&P averages a positive 1.3%, roughly just under, each month. November, December, and it doesn't matter who wins. Mm -hmm. 
So what has happened is investors have been sort of holding their breath through most of the year. They exhale, okay, let's run it up the last two months. Yeah. Okay, somewhere in that, you know, two and a half to maybe 3% in the last two months of the year. Yeah, let's get in before any big policies come forward by January, February. Yep, exactly. Now, part of the problem, though, is that we've got a time in the market cycle from your conventions all the way up to the election. Mm -hmm. In that time frame, so basically the June-July through the end of October, we usually see about a negative 1.3, negative 1.27 to be precise in there. But again, the doom and gloom, it's not an all-year thing. We get that 1.28 to the plus side November and December, and here's what the last eight elections have given us in November, December. In 2020, we were plus 8.4 in the last two months. In 2016, plus 3.5. 2012, pretty flat, 0.6. 2008, that was a rough 2007 through 09. Yeah. Last two months of 08, we were minus 6.5. In 2004, we were plus 6.1. Now, 2000 is a little weird because I technically took from election day through the end of the year in 2000, but we all know we did not get a candidate named as a victor for like three weeks. Yeah. So it kind of takes November really out of it if we went there, but I looked at November, December. 2000, we were minus six. But in 96, we were a plus four, and in 92, we were a plus five. So it's almost like a lot of those projections that will go up for a little bit, then we'll kind of have that second, third quarter kind of valley, but maybe come back on a high to end the year. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's not to steal a Marvel statement. You know, that's what heroes do, but that's what markets do. Yeah. That's the way it works in a presidential election year. But now is there any then, you know, concern or built in with some of this that there could be maybe a little bit of additional election year tomfoolery. Say one of the big talking points was the economy, mm-hmm. the cost of living. And then all of a sudden, there happens to be some kind of maybe federal influx or some kind of uh, intervention to help it look better on one side or the other moving up to November. Well, the the consensus out there is that there will not necessarily be an economic stimulus, per se. You're, you're not getting money deposited into your accounts. But the Fed has actually kind of telegraphed that they're going to drop rates in 2024. Now, they're not going all the way to the bottom, but they are going to start pulling back mm-hmm. from what happened during 22 and 23 with that, with that sharp spike up. So we've got that expectation. Most folks believe this is going to happen in the second half of the year. Okay. Right? Not the first quarter, unlikely in the second, but probably somewhere in the third. Hmm. Now, that actually does follow some of the typical patterns that the Fed has done because the typical cycle, 8 to 18 months from the last hike, is when the first drop happens. Last hike was July. Eight months technically would be the beginning of the second quarter. Twelve months gets us to the middle of the year, that June-July time frame. 
I can see that as maybe where they would be because they have said higher for longer. Yeah. Which means it's probably not eight months before they start reducing, maybe closer to the 18. Mm -hmm. But even if we went to that 15-month mark, uh, that's September. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that's within a couple of months of a particular date on the federal calendar every four years. There might be a rate drop somewhere in September, maybe a quarter of a point, but one of those, you know, throw the dog a little bone out there. So yeah. if we're looking at that, again, not a conspiracy theorist, but if it happens, it's not a conspiracy, right? Yeah, that, I'm just a theorist. That June to September time frame really <clears throat> does kind of line up pretty well. Yes. Yes, it does. So there are certain things that actually happen in the six months before and the six months after the Fed begins to cut rates. Okay. Now, does it include the Fed chair, and in this case, Jerome Powell? Does he have to see his shadow within that six months? Um, I uh, I think it's the president's shadow that okay. he has to look at at that point in time. He's got to see, is it pointing toward the east or toward the west at that, at that point? So he's also got to wait for a puff of smoke from the top of 1600 Pennsylvania as and, well, too. And the white smoke, not the black. Yeah. So... Here's what it looks like since July of 1990. Okay. July of 1990, over 27 months, the Fed cut rates from 8 all the way down to 3%. Okay. Here's what the S&P did. In the six months before the pullback, it was a plus 7. And the six months after they started the pullback, it was a minus almost 13. Wow. Minus 12.7. 1995 was our next set of cuts. Rates went from 5.75 to 5.25 over six months, right? So it was lowered slowly over a six-month period. Six months before, market was up almost 19, 18.9. And the six months after the start, the market was up 12.6 in that time frame. You look to September of 98, rates went from five and a quarter to four and three quarters over two months. Six months leading in, market was up plus four. The six months afterward, the market was up over 22 in that. We move into this century, right? January of 2001. Over that year, Fed cut rates from six all the way down to 1.75. So it was a quick drop in there. Mm -hmm. Six months before the pullback, markets were down 12.7. Six months after, the markets were down an additional three point. Seven. Yeah. Well, there are some other extenuating circumstances globally around maybe, there. Maybe one or two going on there. Yeah. Three, uh, no- really, if you count them. But yes, 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 indeed. November 2002, over eight months, the Fed cuts rates from 1.75 down to 1%. The six months before the pullback, market was down 13. Six months after, the market was up 1. Okay. 2007. This is September of 07, so it's really the beginning of the market falling apart for about 18 months. The Fed cut rates from 4.75 to 2 over a year. Six months before, the market was up 5. The six months after, the market was down 13.6. But again, the wheels came off the cart. Yeah, that's where Bear Stearns fell apart, Lehman Brothers fell apart. And the federal government said, we're actually not going to save you guys. Yeah. We're just going to let it fall apart. Move forward to 2008, October. Rates get cut from 2% down to a quarter of a percent over two months. 
And again, we're still smack in the middle of that total collapse of uh, the, the financial sector, if you will. Six months before, we were minus 27. The six months after, we were minus 18. I will tell you, in my overall calculations, I throw those two numbers out. Yeah. Because that is an absolute anomaly in there. August 2019, last time that we saw rates cut, three months went from 2.25 to 1.5. In the six months before, we saw a plus 10. Six months afterwards, we saw a plus 8. Okay. So, in the eight times that rates were cut in the last 30 years, six months before the cuts, the S&P performed better than the six months following the cuts half the time. Yeah. So, again, we're at kind of a coin toss here as to what could happen. So Is you're it better before or better after? It could be either or. It could be either or. And, in fact, the numbers actually bear that out because if you look at what the actual average performance was, totally discounting 2008. Mm-hmm. So pull the 2008 out. Six months prior, the market was down, on average, 0.9%. Okay. Six months after the rate cuts... The market is down an average of 0.65%. Okay. A little movement down on both sides of the cuts. Yeah. Which, if that happens somewhere between July and September, that kind of lines up with what goes on in a market during a presidential election year. Mm-hmm. A little bit down before, a little bit down afterwards. Yeah. And then big come up after that. Yep. Yep. Then the last piece of this that I want to look at here, Andrew, because 2023 was very nice in markets. Okay. And by very nice, I mean very nice. Because the Dow was up over 13, the S&P was up over 24, and the NASDAQ was up over 44. Okay. Really nice years in well, there. Well, they had to be because everything else was up that same percentage. Uh, true. There, there's some price increases that were going on. Now, in taking this back in my lifetime, because I'm an old guy, okay, Andrew, there have been a number of 20% plus climbs in my lifetime in those last 50 years. The markets in a year after a 20% climb sees an average of a plus 5%. Okay. 1975 was beautiful. We saw a 31 in 75, and in 76, we saw a plus 19. Okay. We come to 1980. 1980, there was a plus 25, but 1981, not so good. Minus 9.7. 85, we had a plus 25. 86, a plus 14 and a half. 89, a plus 27. 1990, a minus 6 and a half. 91 was a plus 26. 92, a plus 4 and a half. Then we get this weird amalgam from 95 through 2002. Because we went up 34 and 95, up 20 and 96, up 31 and 97, up 26 and 98, up 19 and a half and 99, and then the dot-com bubble burst. Yeah. Then the and, little yodeler comes off the cliff. Yes. And 2000 was a minus 10, 2001 a minus 13, and 2002 a minus 23. So, if you average that whole period, though, it's a plus 6, yeah. which is kind of in line. 2003 was a 26. 2024 saw basically a 9, or 2004. 2009 saw a 23. 2010 saw a 12.7. 2013 saw a 29.6. 2014, 11.4. 
2009, an 18 or 28-8. 2020, a 16-3. 2021, so a 26-9. And we all remember what happened in 22 with a minus 19. Yeah. So again, if I throw out that kind of 95 through 2002 conglomerate of stuff, we typically see a plus 5.19. So much closer to that, a little bit to the positive side, but yeah. you know, maybe not too far out. So then the question becomes, what the heck does all of that mean? That's where the RBG comes in. Okay. That's the Rick's best guess. So the RBG, 2024 version, if I'm basing it on the things like the presidential election cycle, knowing what marks, uh, markets do right before and right after a pullback, looking at what happens when the last year was a plus 20, I'm going to tell you the the crystal ball's got some snow in it. It looks more like a snow globe, but the RBG, the Rick's best guess, and I like to put parameters. I don't like to give you a number. This is the number. Okay. I like to give you parameters. I could see anywhere this year from a maybe a minus two, so maybe slightly down, okay. to a plus five, maybe slightly up. I am not looking to see, oh, there's going to be this massive minus 30. Yeah. I'm also not looking at it going, oh, there's this giant plus 17 that we need to be banking on. I think we see a pretty small band of what could happen in markets. Some of that's going to be based on the timing of when the Fed does different things. Some of it's going to be based on some of those other uh, leading indicators, things like what happens when we actually look at the real unemployment data, what happens with actual inflation, how much closer to the 2% does it get, does the Fed cut rates in July versus September, how aggressive are they going to be on those cuts, are they really going to take it slow and steady because they really are expecting higher for longer so maybe they're only going to cut that quarter of a percent at a time rather than dropping it by a half or three quarters. Now, with that, I will say 2023 was a surprise to me. Yeah. Because sort of that RBG coming in, my guess was, you know, maybe 12, 15 at the high end. And we got up into the 20s in the S&P. So that is a surprise. Yeah. But a good surprise. But a good surprise. So, 2024, would it surprise me to see returns that were slightly more negative than that minus two? It wouldn't surprise me if it were down to maybe a minus five, so like a minus single digit Mm -hmm. on there, but not a high single digit. All the way down to a minus five wouldn't surprise me. And if, you know, on the plus side, if it were slightly higher... It wouldn't surprise me either, but that would be slightly higher, like into the high single digits, maybe an 8 or a 9. Yeah. I don't think that 2024 is going to be at that normal 11% to the plus side. I also don't think it's going to be way off. It's We're not going to see like a minus 30. Yeah. I'm pretty sure BCA is wrong on that minus 30 call that they're making. And if they're not, we've got a lot more issues than the market just pulling back. Yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of big things going on there. Yeah. So that's kind of that overall RBG, Rick's perspective on 2024 on the markets. I would expect some low single digits one way or the other. Double digits, 
either direction would actually shock me. Yeah. Um, with all of that said, what that means is, and I've read this a number of different places, uh, what, what they have a number of places have said is that the 60-40 is back. Now, what that means is a well-diversified portfolio that yeah. consists of 60% equities, 40% fixed income, and spreading both of those over a variety of different sectors in order to be well-diversified. Because, you know, for the last two years, 60-40 was out, and that's no good anymore. And we can't just look at those years as anomalies. We we have to look at that as, oh, my goodness, the sky's falling, or, oh, my goodness, look at what it could have been, rather than taking the long-term perspective, Andrew. Well, and that's the big thing is that this is a long-term game. This isn't, you know, the day trading. This isn't just a right. get-rich-quick. But it's talking about getting back to normal. Yes. Does this mean that our yields will finally not be inverted. That is what most of the analysts are expecting to happen, if not by mid-2024, certainly by the end okay. of 2024. That that 2.10 yield goes back to normal. The 10-year is actually a higher yield than the 2. We've seen some of that fluctuation, especially at the end of last year, uh, happen if you if you track and follow mortgage rates, if we were back in October, your mortgage rates on that 30-year conventional were well over 7. Now they're back down to that 6.6, 6.5 number. So they have started to pull back again, uh, which, you know, we can we, – we, we might have to do a future show with a particular – gentlemen to come in once in a while but we can at least the armchair professor the the armchair professor but we can at least give him a hard time for not winning the fantasy football league well, I, this year i don't really know if i have a leg to stand on oh sure you do i think i st- i finished just above you that's all right because i sold out for that number one pick just like my bears did yeah so i have a strategy to this part of that strategy was to get as much from kyle as i possibly could through the year and and, yeah. and rich as well um, you know, I, I figure I also, based on what I gave to Rich, I deserve some sort of a share of yeah. the trophy, the, like a like a sub mention, right? You can you can actually uh, sub subtweet me yeah. on that, um, but it actually should mean right basic supply and demand as the cost of money goes down, more buyers for homes start to enter the system again, and while in 2023 we saw a slight pullback on some of the pricing and we saw some of that, you know, getting those buyer incentives back out there. Yeah. We may see that turn around and go away again in 24 and 25. So what you're saying is that we might have some normalization yeah. come back. Yeah, it, it it might get back to kind of normal, which, you know, based on what we've dealt with in 2020 and 21 and 22 and quite frankly, 23, yeah, I, I would venture to say it might be welcome. To have that happen, yeah. Just, just kind of throwing that, throwing that piece out there. So that's the, uh, that's that overall look on the year. We've got those folks who, yes, we've got those wide, wide, wide analyst swings in there, all the way from you know the the folks at BCA saying we could see that negative thirty. Flip side is the Yardini folks. Hey, it could be a plus seventeen. We've got all kinds of stuff in the middle, and and even at that, it doesn't actually matter which asset manager you look at. 
even the asset managers aren't in lockstep. Yeah. Right? Because J.P. Morgan says it could be a minus 12. Oppenheimer says it could be a plus 13. So there's even a big range even when you're looking at those major asset managers through there. Which basically just says, Andrew, nobody's got the perfect guess. Yeah. It could be anything from a full-blown recession to another just full-on bear market run. Yeah. So we, we, we've got just all kinds of different possibilities out there for 2024. And the the crazy thing about that is, you know, I, I, I tell folks, I used to think this in Illinois, but it is most assuredly true in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Your markets are like the weather. If you don't like what's going on, give it a few minutes. It's probably going to change. Yeah. You know, because I swear I have seen since I've been out here, Andrew, all four seasons in one day. Oh, of course. I'm pretty sure. It, Sometimes before noon. Yeah, I was about to say, that, that was the best part about going to school here. Is <laughs> you get the snow day and then by, you know, lunchtime, it's sunny and you're outside playing in shorts. Exactly. I think that's why they uh, introduced the two-hour delay. Yeah. So, well, folks, that is all the time that we have for this week on Money Matters. If you've got some questions, if you're wondering what is in store for your 2024, Feel free to give us a call at 719-500-8700 for that complimentary consultation. We're happy to sit down and kind of go over some of those different pieces for you. Folks, we will be back again next week right here on Money Matters, continuing to talk about your money because your money matters. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 